This is a podcast called Functional Ecology, a British Ecological Society publication. Hi everyone, today I'm delighted to welcome Laura Nadler and Sandra Binning to the podcast. Laura and Sandra make up two of the four guest editors on Functional Ecology's cross-journal special feature with the Journal of Animal Ecology. This is titled Mechanisms and Consequences of Infection-Induced Phenotypes. The other two guest editors who weren't able to join us today are Dana Hawley and Shelley Adama. So this special feature is due to be published in April 2023. It aims to bring together biologists working on a wide range of host parasite systems and topics in order to synthesize our current understanding of host parasite relationships and brainstorm how to move the research area forward in an uncertain future. But before we get into the special feature, I think it would be good to do some introductions. So we'll start with Lauren. Where are you from? What are your research interests? And could you just tell us a little bit about your journey towards becoming an ecologist? Sure. Thanks for having us today. So I obviously am originally from the US, but I've moved around a ton. So I've done various parts of this academic journey in the UK, in Australia, um, in Norway, kind of all over. I always knew I wanted to work with marine organisms. So I wanted to be a marine biologist since I was five. I went to an aquarium when I was five years old and was just captivated. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Um, And so I was really excited when I went to do my PhD in Australia, which is actually where I met Sandra. We were part of the same center that was um, between a couple of institutions in Australia. And I was studying the behavior and physiology of coral reef fish. So specifically looking at how uh, certain physiological mechanisms might promote social behavior. And I was really interested mostly in the ecology at that point, a little bit, you know, into environmental disturbance. And then as a postdoc, I learned there was a there was an opening to work on this host parasite system in California at Scripps Institution of Oceanography. And it basically was a a parasite that was very different than anything I'd ever heard about before. It had three different hosts. It had to pass from snails to fish to birds. And there was all this literature about all the weird and funky ways that the parasite affected the behavior of the fish. So I was really excited about it. There were some studies on how their physiology changed with the parasite. So it kind of fit into all of my interests in what I'd started as, as a PhD student, but then jumping into parasites. And so when I started this job, I realized how huge the world of parasitology actually was, and there was a lot to learn. And it was very exciting, but also a little overwhelming jumping into that. So I think me and Sandra both ended up kind of working on similar ideas, but kind of after we had both left Australia. And so it's it's gotten me really interested in this idea of how parasites alter their hosts, how different kinds of parasites may have different impacts on their hosts. And it's been really an interesting journey. And so this, you know, kind of has has kind of grown this interest and kind of brought us to where we are today. Wonderful. Right. So can I ask just quickly, with with regards to marine biology, have you found there's, are there any differences between your idea of it when you were sort of growing up as a child and then the actual practicality of it? Because I think that's usually something I've I've encountered speaking to marine biology. You know, you, you grow up watching... I don't know, Blue Planet and seeing all these beautiful, large, larger than life creatures. And then you're just studying plankton or something. <laughs> not that that's not interesting, but I was wondering if there was a kind of difference with that. Uh, 
definitely, because the five-year-old me was really into marine biology because they had touch tanks at the aquarium. So I got to touch like sharks and all these different creatures. And so like my grand plan was that I was going to have touch tanks as a grown up. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that that wasn't a job. Um, and one of the things that is, I started out being really interested in these charis, we call them charismatic megafauna. They're mm-hmm. the cute and cuddly marine creatures like whales and sharks and maybe sharks aren't cuddly, but and turtles and things like that. But I think as I got more interested in science, I became really interested in like being able to do experiments, like actually being able to manipulate things and be able to pinpoint these causal mechanisms behind the things that I was seeing. And I found out that it's actually really hard to keep those charismatic megafauna in a controlled lab setting. And so I started working on really small fish. And sometimes I work on fish that aren't necessarily beautiful and for the normal person I think they're cute um so uh yeah so I think it's definitely evolved and what my I've been interested in and thought this job was has evolved through time um and I became more excited about some of the smaller things that really have big consequences for all of those bigger things that I used to be so excited about wonderful and right I'll pass the ball over to Sandra Thanks a lot. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's so nice to be able to talk about this and really appreciate the opportunity to, to work with all of you and uh, and get this thing through. Um, so I'm based in Montreal. I'm originally from Montreal in Canada. Um, but like Lauren, I have really moved around a lot <laughs> over the course of my career. So I also did my PhD in Australia. As Lauren mentioned, that's where we first met. Did a postdoc in Switzerland afterwards and have done field work kind of all over all over the world. Also mostly focused on marine systems, although now I work on freshwater stuff. So I'm proper aquatic uh, person, no bias in terms of the, <laughs> the salt in the water. That we're um, but yeah, so kind of like um, Lauren said, the way I got into specifically working on parasites, which is what my current lab at the University of Montreal really focuses on is sort of the physiology, behavior, and ecology of, uh, of infected fishes mostly. Um, but I really got into parasites and the role that they can play in the ecology of their species completely by accident. <laughs> like it wasn't something I set out to do. My PhD was also focused on coral reef fish um, physiology, really related to waves and water motion and how um, their kind of exercise abilities in those really wave-driven environments um, varied across different habitats. Um, But while I was swimming and snorkeling on the reefs, like I just kept on seeing these fish that had this huge parasite attached to the side of their heads. And I got so obsessed with it because I was really thinking about kinematics and swimming in water and drag and just how difficult it was to swim and it's like these poor fish that have this huge thing hanging off the side of their head how are they able to deal with it it's so you know it must be so difficult and so I I sort of went off on this side project that had nothing to do with what I was originally supposed to do my PhD on and uh and then I was hooked and uh, started you know really pursuing this again throughout my postdoc my postdoc I was uh able to work on a system of cleaner rafts that were removing parasites from other fishes, which was a different take on the whole idea about parasite infection and and the sort of host relationship. So that was super neat. And also in terms of thinking about behavior and how fishes deal with infection. And yeah, and now we're bringing some of these ideas back to Canada to, to try to work on this freshwater fish um, system that I'm working on uh, at the moment, Sunfish. Fantastic. So right, uh, bonus points if it's a parasite, but uh, favorite study organisms? 
So mine is actually the fish I did my PhD work with because they are these small damselfish, the blue-green chromis, chromis viridis, and they are really easy to keep. They're really easy to catch. And when they get used to being in the lab, they get to know when they're going to be fed. So they'll come up to the surface like puppies and kind of splash you if you don't feed them. So I, I still absolutely love them. Fantastic. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be different and say parasite just just for just for fun, um, and I'll probably say the parasite this this big parasite I was talking about that hangs off the, the side of a fish's head. They're a genus called Analocra, and they're I guess you can think of them a little bit like um, kind of ticks, but ticks that really stay on a fish for a really long time. They get super big. Um, the females are the ones that you see. They're really big. They have this marsupium. It's like a, a pat, like a, a little pouch in their um, abdomen where they have little babies and if you take them off you see all these little babies swinging out and they're super cool <laughs> they're totally amazing they look they look a bit gross but uh, I don't know I really love them and there's you know a whole bunch of different species in fact lots of different fish you can find them in the Caribbean you can find them in the Indo-Pacific you can find them just about everywhere so that's my favorite genus of parasite anyway Analocra. Amazing so right before we go into the special feature I always like to I think the idea of setting some things to right, uh, because I know that sometimes the, the idea of something in sort of conventional terms is very different to the idea of it in scientific terms and the reality of it in scientific terms. So is there anything that you can think of with regards to host parasite dynamics and interactions, something that you could share with the listeners that could be very interesting and perhaps change their sort of perspective on you know, they probably just think it's gross and it's terrible and, you know, these poor things, but I know the dynamics don't work exactly that way. Yeah, I think that parasites are so complex. I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize. When we say parasite, we're really talking about any organism that extracts resources from another organism at a cost to that other organism, the host, right? And that encompasses such a huge range of different types of organisms. Like, Obviously, when we think of parasites, we might think about things like tapeworms or, again, like ticks, like I mm-hmm. mentioned before, like things that, that are, are, we kind of know are, are bad for us. But there are just a, there's such a wide range of, of animals, but also you know, bacteria and things like that that have this parasitic relationship. So I think that that is one thing that a lot of people are surprised about, just how diverse this you know, category of animals and organisms is. And also, as Lauren mentioned before, the fact that you can have some of these organisms that have these extremely, extremely complex life cycles where they need, you know, two, three, four hosts sometimes to be able to complete their life cycle. And they have very specific things that they do and need from each of those hosts like that. I think that complexity just blows people's minds when I talk to my students about it. It's it's really something that they they don't think about when you think about these really simple little worms you know, they can have these really incredibly complex ecologies and life histories mm-hmm. that I think is really, really fascinating if you're interested in just the natural world and how, how these things evolve. Right. So thank you for that answer, Sandra. Now we'll pass on to Lauren now to tell us some interesting facts about host parasite dynamics that we might not be aware of. So the thing that I have found the most interesting is the fact that most of us assume that parasites are gross and we don't have them. Um, But actually, in reality, we all have lots of parasites. All animals probably have several parasites. And there was an interesting quote that I had heard that I don't remember who said it, and I probably won't say it 100% accurately, but it's, tell me what parasites you have, and I'll tell you who you are. And the reason that's so 
relevant is that what parasites we have are going to depend on our unique history in our lives, who we've interacted with, where we've lived, what we've eaten, et cetera. And so every person is unique, not only in just you know their own combination of traits, but one of the, the interesting traits is what parasites they have and the way that they've lived their lives will impact what parasites they have as well. Fantastic. Yeah. So I think that's that's a good point for us to actually start talking about the special feature. So um, I will ask Sandra if you could, in plain terms, you know, explain the novelty of this special feature. What does it contribute to our understanding of the mechanisms of infection induced phenotypes? Yeah, sure. So really, I mean, we're not the first people to think about parasites. I mean, people have been researching parasites and their hosts for, you know, centuries in some cases. So I just, you know, want to make it clear that we're not completely reinventing the wheel here or anything like Mm -hmm. that. What I think we're trying to do with this special feature, however, that is really novel and exciting to, to us, is that we're really trying to approach this relationship between hosts and parasites from multiple different angles. We're really looking at it from all different levels of organization. So we have brought people who are thinking about this interaction at the level of what's happening in cells, what's happening, you know, really inside the organism, but at a very sort of mechanistic, like how are parasites really going about and changing things in their host at a cellular level? We have people who are thinking at it from the level of the host. So at an individual level, what are the types of changes? How does infection impact interactions that that organism is going to have with other organisms we and you know we also have uh studies who are scaling it up to the level of communities and ecosystems like what are the broader scale impacts of this infection on you know communities on other processes that are happening in an ecosystem so i think that that's really one thing is we're trying to take this multi-scale approach and also looking at the different types of uh, the different types of ways that parasites can impact the host. So again, we often think of parasites bad, you know, by definition, parasites are bad for the host, but the ways that parasites impact hosts movement or physiology or behavior is not always just parasites doing something that is causing damage, you know, like some of the changes that we see in hosts is really from the host trying to change its behavior to minimize the cost of the parasite, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's lots of different ways that the interaction between hosts and parasites can affect physiology, behavior, ecology. And so we're really trying to bring all of these different things together and synthesize it and and try to see what commonalities come out of it across these different scales and across these different mechanisms. So I think that's what's really exciting and novel about our our special feature. Wonderful. Thank you. And I'll pass on to um, Lauren to sort of take the baton forward with that and sort of talk about some key takeaways, maybe some interesting results. Um. Yeah, I think Sandra summarized it really well. I think what we were really interested in doing is kind of taking people for one thing out of their own individual system, whether they work on insects or mammals or fish, and really think about how is what you're learning in your study system potentially going, could it be applied to all these other systems? Is there some, are there some general ideas that we can think about that we're learning by looking across these different animals? And I think there are some misconceptions about how parasites interact with their hosts. And I think bringing everyone together, I think there are things that we were really working kind of intensively in this specific field know about, but trying to think about how these ideas can be expanded to folks that aren't necessarily working on host-parasite interactions. So, you know, if you're working on any study animal 
I think a lot of times when you're just looking at the ecology of how the animal lives in its environment, you want to work, you think you're working on the healthiest animals. And if you see an animal that has a big parasite, like the one Sandra worked on in the past, you would maybe potentially exclude it from your study. Mm -hmm. And that's not actually the most realistic for helping us to understand how animals live in nature. And so I think we want to kind of bring ideas and make them accessible to folks that work on ideas completely separate from parasites and have them start to think about how parasites in the environment of the animals they study maybe impact the principles that they focus on or work on so that we can expand these ideas and kind of help people to think more universally about how parasites may be impacting the types of processes that they study. That's remarkable. Thanks. So uh, both of you have um, papers as well that you've authored that are part of this special feature. So perhaps you can talk a little bit about what your contribution was in in those papers. So Sandra? Yeah, I'm really excited about the contribution that that my group has to this paper. Um, And I would just like to give a shout out the paper that I've contributed to. My contribution, I should say, was very, very small to the paper because it was really a paper driven by the graduate students, undergraduates in my lab, and also a couple other labs at the University of Montreal. Um, and this paper really came to be as a pandemic project. Basically, in twenty, in the fall of 2020, um, a lot of my students completely lost their field seasons. We had very, very strict lockdowns here in, uh, in, in Quebec, in the province that I live in, in Canada. And so we weren't allowed to do very much field work, um, and the students were really quite worried about it. One of my students, Journey Devonville, who's a PhD student in my lab, had this idea about doing a collaborative literature um, search, uh, asking the question of, well, you know, we think about parasites, we think about how they might be impacting host phenotypes, especially related to physiology and behavior, but how much are other people who are working on questions related to animal performance, thinking about the impacts that parasites might have on their study systems? And I thought this was such a cool question that really you know, lent itself well to the pandemic where everyone was stuck at home and we couldn't do the fieldwork. And so we got together different, um, different, again, PhD students. There were some undergrads involved. There were graduate students from other labs who were working on different systems, thinking about different types of questions as us. We all came together and, you know, on GatherTown, which was the platform we used, we had these, you know, sessions, work sessions where everyone was going through and doing the systematic literature research. And again, this was completely driven by the graduate students. I think it came together really nicely. Um, and I'm really, really proud of the work that, that, um, that they've done. Um, and to have it featured in this special feature is really the cherry on top of, of that whole, you know, turning a bad situation into something that was good and productive for everyone. And I'll ask the same of Lauren. So I am a co-author on one of the contributions to um, the special feature. And so it was led by Marco Vindis and it came out of my postdoc in Norway. So we were looking at effects of a really teeny tiny intracellular parasite on some of the model fish species that we hear about for say biomedical studies. So we'd done some work with zebrafish and we decided to see if there were similar impacts on Um, Madaka, which are another commonly used model fish species. And we, there was one study that showed that just if you put infected zebrafish with this intracellular parasite, if you house them with Madaka, they would become infected. And so you could have this infection that got passed back and forth between multiple species. So we used the same procedure we had used in the past on zebrafish. We used it on Madaka and we gave them a lot of parasites. A lot, a lot, a lot of parasites and really were kind of baffled when we could not detect infection in our hosts. 
and we spent so much effort. I spent so much effort and time trying to infect these fish and just could not detect any infection in them. And so one of the important issues in our field is understanding the difference between whether a host is susceptible to the parasite or whether it's resistant to it or whether it's tolerant of it. And so not detecting an infection doesn't necessarily mean that the parasite hasn't gotten in and made all of these effects on the on the host, because potentially the host was just really good at fighting off the parasite when it was trying to get in. But that fight is actually super costly. It takes a ton of resources, especially when they've fought it as successfully as these fish have. So we wanted to see, we know these fish were exposed to a ton of parasites that in the past, in other studies, they've been shown to be susceptible to. So we wanted to see, did it affect their behavior? Are they behaving differently in the longer term after this parasite exposure, even though they never actually got an established infection? And what this study showed is that the behavioral differences were actually really strong between the two. They were you know, potentially changes in activity, potentially changes in sociability, aggression, all of these different aspects of their behavior were different if they previously had this exposure to parasites. And so it does kind of upend what we think about in terms of infection. We think about the parasites that we find in our hosts, but we have no idea, especially when we use wild animals, what parasites they've potentially been exposed to in their environment, but successfully fought off and what the implications are for that sort of battle between the host and the parasites because of how costly it is to actually fight them off. And so what we showed is that even in these hosts that were really good at resisting the parasites, it does have longer term impacts on their behavior. That's remarkable. Yeah, amazing. So, um, well, I kind of wanted to ask about the germination of the idea, but I think you guys have kind of covered it, but it brings us quite nicely onto the next part because the germination of an idea is always about forward looking and what can you contribute to the ongoing march of science, right? So, um, I know in your editorial, you mentioned, you know, under sort of climate change scenarios, we need to know how animal phenology is changing. And, you know, um, so I'd like to ask, and I'll start with you, Sandra, um, where do you think generally just sort of parasite host dynamic research and just generally ecological research, where do you think that should be directed towards next? And what changes do you hope that your special feature that you've guest edited um Will precipitate in the field well this is just my humble opinion <laughs> of course people have different opinions on this thing what a big question um but i think that what we're hoping again as lauren mentioned earlier we're mm-hmm. hoping to do with this special feature is really to get people who don't typically think about parasites to at least acknowledge their existence and the impacts that they might have on their study systems and try to bring a little bit more of that ecological realism back into their own work because whether we like it or not um, whether we're interested in it or not um, most wild animals as Lauren said do have parasites and they can have really pretty big impacts on the performance of the animals that you know we're trying to study and so if we ignore them we're potentially really losing a key piece of information and again just thinking about the idea that in nature animals have to adapt to life and reality where there are parasites and infections around. We've had to do that with COVID, obviously. You know, it's something that we are constantly having to deal with in our natural environment. So this is something that I'm hoping people are going to increasingly become more aware of, trying to think about how those interactions might be impacting the types of uh, questions and, and research that we're doing. And especially, you know, thinking about how 
like this is something that we haven't quite done in this special issue, but just thinking through the forwards, the, the idea of co-infections, the idea that you can have more than one type of parasite and you can have more, so more than one species, more than one individual parasite, more than one parasite at a different life stage where there are different effects on the host. Like these interactions are inherently complex, but we should embrace, I think, that complexity as opposed to ignoring it. I think it's something that is really interesting and something that will really help us to better understand how organisms are going to potentially be uh, affected by other types of stressors, you know, climate change. So if we're interested in climate change effects on wild animals, we should also be interested in how climate change is affecting host parasite interactions because those types of things cannot be dissociated in, in nature. Fantastic. And Laura? Yeah, I think Sandra summarized it really well. I think these are inherently very complex interactions. And there's a lot that we don't know, partially because it is really difficult to study these ideas in the way that they actually occur in nature. It's difficult to study more than one parasite at one time. It's difficult to study these ideas in nature. But some of the papers in this special feature have done a really amazing job of, of starting to get at that complexity. So create sort of a structure that others can follow to potentially tackle what is a very difficult question. Um, so I think, you know, looking to what these papers have done could generate ideas about how folks could potentially study them in their own systems. Remarkable. So as we sort of come to wrapping up, um, I think it's always good to take stock and, you know, it's, it's, it's never a single effort. So um, this is your opportunity to I know we've had a few shout outs already, but if there are any other sort of people, groups that you'd like to shout out, people who helped along the way, now's the time. Well, I think we would be amiss if we didn't acknowledge Shelly Adamo and Dina Holly again for helping us put this special feature together. So Shelly is um, you know, someone who we interacted with, Lauren and I, at uh, conferences in the past and sort of came together with this idea through that. Uh, Dana is um, someone who was brought on board um, via Shelly. So, you know, Lauren and I have never actually met Dana in person, which is kind of amazing. I feel like, you know, we've interacted with her so much. We're putting this special feature together. This is maybe one of the, the wonderful things that has come out of the pandemic. It's now so much easier. I think people have the resources and the the, the, the know-how to, to sort of do these um, online collaborations a lot easier. So um, they have been extremely helpful. And I also want to thank um, all the contributors to this special feature as well. Um, people were very excited to contribute uh, their work and the process of, you know, getting people to be on time and, you know, respect the deadlines mm -hmm. and, really just put a lot of effort into the revisions and, and whatnot was was truly remarkable. So I think that the success of the special um, feature is, of course, directly related to the authors who've contributed something. So definitely thanks to everyone who, who made uh, who made this possible. Amazing. And I mean, there's there's a few shout outs there. So Lauren, if there's any anyone to add to that? Yeah. I mean, of course, thank you, Frank, for all of your help and Kirsty Scandrit um, for helping us to get all of these papers over the line from the editorial side that have been obviously a huge part of this. So we're, we're super appreciative for all of your help and advice, especially because Sandra and I, had, neither of us had, had organized a special feature, a special issue before. And so um, there was a lot to learn. 
And I think one thing is uh, this special feature partially came out of Sandra and I talking at uh, the Society for Experimental Biology's annual meeting a couple of years running, and then we ran um, sessions there. And so kind of wanted to shout out the SEB because, you know, part of these discussions about these ideas happened at that meeting, which is one of the great things about that meeting. So um, it's kind of the, the nice thing about getting back to in-person meetings, these sort of casual conversations are, are kind of starting up again, which is great. So that actually brings it quite nicely to the last question that I like to ask everyone. Um, and it's a two-parter this time rather than one-parter because we're talking about special features. So <laughs> the first one would be advice that you would give to a younger you to sort of go through all the ecology madness of PhD life and all that kind of stuff. And advice to other people that would be interested maybe in um, running a special feature because now to fire back the compliments, I must tell everyone that this has been an absolute clinic on how to run a special feature. Um, We couldn't be more pleased with the interaction that we have had and the buy-in and how, you know, every single point has been kept perfectly in terms of timing and um, yeah, it's just been a delight to work on. So yeah. Advice to yourself and advice to other people who might be interested on running a special feature. And I will keep it to one thing so that we can't tread on each other's toes. So we'll go with Sandra. Thank you, Frank, for those kind words. It's really nice to hear. And uh, sometimes Lauren and I were, you know, running a little bit uh, in the dark. And (laughs) I'm glad that it all um, came together in the end. So so thanks for that. Um, Advice to myself when I was younger, I guess I would say just do what you want to do what interests you make sure that you're driven by your passions i like i said wasn't um never set out to do a phd that had anything to do with parasites and look where that you know exploration of my interests has taken me so i would say don't be afraid of your um following your your passion and um maybe doing something that's a little bit outside of your your wheelhouse um from time mm-hmm. to time advice on putting together a special feature i think is getting a great team together of, of editors. I think we, you know, Lauren and I really were able to bring um, Shelly and Dina in and their insets was um, really critical in making making sure that everything worked as smoothly as, uh, as it did. So um, I would say, you know, get once you have your core team together, if you have a good way of working, then the rest I think kind of falls into place. Perfect. And Lauren? So in terms of the one thing I would tell my younger self or younger folks, um, I would say that one of the the best things that I was told kind of early in my PhD is because there's a lot of noise and you're doing this stuff about like, you should be doing this and you should be accomplishing that. Mm. And I think it can be, it can become stressful if you get locked into, I should be, I should be at a certain place and I'm not there yet. And da, da, da. So I think the best thing was just, just do the things you're interested in, be, you know, do things that you're excited about. And I think that will translate and you will enjoy your job. Cause I think this can be a really fun and fortunate position to be in to just you know get to delve into these you know interesting parts of science so I think focus on what you're interested in and kind of just forget the noise and stop thinking about what you should do the shoulda coulda what is and just do what you're passionate about um, in terms of what I would say about the special feature I think one of the great parts of this process has been the ability to just reach out to people whose papers I've thought were really interesting over time and the people that I learned a lot from when I was first getting into parasitology and trying to learn this big world. So I think um, reaching out to people that you don't know and not just sticking within your network is is a great strategy because then you you can 
kind of expand and think about things outside of your particular narrow viewpoint and kind of expand your own own viewpoint. So it's an opportunity to to talk to people who you've never had the opportunity to meet at a conference or whatnot. So um, so yeah, I think reaching outside of the network and touching base because I was we were really amazed with how interested people were that we never met. They were interested in, in contributing. So I think reaching out is um, and is is great. Fantastic. And with conference season coming up, I imagine that would be a tip. You know, that's that's a great place to recruit as many people as possible into your little project, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, just to wrap up, I suppose, um, I just want to thank both of you and the other two guest editors, Dana and Shelley as well. Um, and, yeah, just say to the listeners that this special feature will be available in early April 2023. Um as usual with all of these podcasts, a transcript will be available as well as, well, for this, it's a bit different. It will be links to the editorial and the special feature um, and any of the relevant papers. Everything will be there that you you know that you need. Um, so, yeah, I'd just like to wrap up by saying thank you to both Sandra and Lauren. Um, I hope everyone's found it as interesting as I have. Thanks a lot, Frank. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you.